Morning, everyone. Uh, a number of years ago, I was uh, driving through a small uh, suburb in Sydney called Forestville, where I lived at the time. I remember I was driving down Starkey Street, shops are just on the right, coming to the pedestrian crossing, and I heard over the radio the news, Princess Diana has been involved in a high-speed accident, and it looks like her injuries are serious. And over the next hour or so, I remember listening to the radio, and it was confirmed that she was dead. Now, I remember right where I was, right at that moment, massive news. One morning I turned on the news, saw on the TV high-rise buildings collapsing into the streets of New York City, buildings filled with people. Hijacked passenger planes had been flown into them. And I watched the news for hours and hours following the updates, unable to tear myself away. I remember vividly those moments, massive news of massive horrific events that radically reshaped our world. Now some of you might remember where you were when you saw the moon landing. Some saw the Cuban Missile Crisis, some the fall of the Berlin Wall, the assassination of JFK, and all of us will be able to tell our grandkids about the 2020 pandemic, where for a couple of months we spent most of our time at home. Uh, these are massive moments of massive news about hugely significant events that have run across the globe, this news, impacting the lives of so many people. Some events more significant, some less so, some good news, some bad news, but all huge news. The central message of Christianity is just that, a message. It's news, massive news of massive events, momentous news, news that is so important and so wonderful and so good it needs to be shared with everyone. Incredible news that changes any, everything, bigger than any of the news that I mentioned before. You can see there in verse 1 of that passage we just had read from 1 Corinthians, um, that the Apostle Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. He's writing to a church, the church in Corinth, a church that had lots of problems, and he says to them straight up here, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, that he spoke to them, that he shared with them. Now, what's a gospel? You might have heard the word gospel before, a gospel choir, gospel music. Uh, that's gospel truth. But you might have wondered, what does the word gospel actually mean? It's an English translation of an ancient Greek word that means something like massive news, momentous news, huge news. Uh, in the Roman Empire, in the time that this was written, that spoke the Greek language, when a new son was born to the emperor, or a great battle had been won, or the emperor died, or some sort of huge event took place, heralds would run throughout the empire taking the gospel news, spreading the gospel sharing massive news that everyone needed to know because it affected everyone's lives. That's what the word gospel means. And Christianity has its heart, at its heart the gospel, massive news of a world-changing nature. And it's fundamentally good news because it's actually about God come to save and to rule the world with justice. And in these ancient words here, the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth to remind them of the wonderful world-changing news that he'd previously shared with them because this is the most important news anyone, anywhere, in any time in all of history will ever hear. Now, is that emphatic enough? This is the most important news that any, anyone, anywhere, in any time in all of human history will ever hear. Now, let's look together at this news, um, five important aspects of this news. And the first important aspect is this, it's news that saves, which is one of the reasons it's so important and so wonderful. You can see it there in verse two, by this gospel, you are saved. By this news, you are saved. It's a message, it's news that actually has power to save people. And you might think, save from what? 
You might think you don't need saving from anything, or you might think, I need saving from everything. A whole bunch of things, from debt, from ill health, from anxiety, from uh, work that you hate, from the stupidity of fools around you. But the one big thing that we desperately all need saving from is death. That's the great enemy of life. That's the great terror of life, death. And you may not have thought of death as something you need saving from, possibly because you didn't know it was possible to be saved from death. But that's what this news, this gospel saves from. It saves from death. The central message of Christianity is that you can be saved from death because God is so good and so wonderful and so generous, he does not want us to die. Even though we deserve to die because of how we've treated him. See, the hard truth, but hard to dispute truth, is that we've all rejected God, all turned our backs on God. It's hard, but it's hard to dispute. Every single one of us has gone our own way, taken the rule for ourselves. And every single one of us does all sorts of wrong to our fellow human beings, even to people we love, even to the people closest to us, our our family and friends. We fail in so many ways let alone to the people we don't care about that much, let alone to those we don't really like. Every human fails to do all sorts of good and loving things that they should do. Every human has mixed motives, motives mixed with self-interest. In fact, so often so much of our lives is given over to selfishness. And even when we do do the right things, so often we do the right things for the wrong reasons, for my praise, for my approval. So to achieve an inner desire um, out of hope that when I treat someone well, they're going to treat me well in return. All of this the Bible calls sin, a rejection of God as ruler of our lives that results in impacting all our relationships, our thoughts, our motives with self-interest. It's called sin. Now, many people don't need to be convinced of their sin and their guilt before God. I know that I didn't. Uh, Before I was a Christian, I consistently felt guilty because I knew that I did bad things. My thoughts, my desires, my motives, I knew they had all sorts of junk in them. I didn't reflect on it all the time. I wasn't aware of how bad I was, but I knew enough to know that I wasn't good. And I felt guilty because I was guilty. And that's a very hard feeling to try to cope with, isn't it? Because it's not out there, it's in here. Because the problem's not out there, the problem's within me. I knew I wasn't a good person, even though as I looked around, I knew that there were people who did far worse things than me. But I knew, still knew there was something wrong with me. And so when I thought about God in those rare moments or death in those rare moments, it was generally with some degree of fear. And when someone explained the concept of sin to me, it made total sense of my life. Now, there's some of you out there like me. <laughs> you don't need to be convinced of your guilt before God. But for some of us, it's hard to see our guilt before God and we need more help. So imagine this with me. Imagine I had access, in fact, imagine we all had access to your internet search history from all your devices. All the things you'd ever viewed, private modes, don't hide it, we could see it all. What would it reveal about you? Show a whole bunch of stuff, wouldn't it, about your thoughts, your motives, your desires, your greed perhaps, lust perhaps, selfishness perhaps. What about, though, if there there was a YouTube channel dedicated to your life? And first you think, that's great. But after a while you realise, no, no, they've been filming everything. Everything. Every secret thing you have ever done. Everything. Every action. Every conversation. Everything you did when you thought you were on your own and no one was looking. It's Truman Show 
type stuff. Uh, everything you wish you could forget and things you had forgotten until you saw them again on the YouTube and now you're ashamed they come rushing back. Imagine that I had access to that. Imagine further, and this gets a bit crazy, that as I watched those videos, they were made in such a way that they not only showed the external what you were doing, but your very inner world, what you were thinking, your motives, your desires, everything that was driving you, uh, not just what you did, but why you did it in the secret places, in the inner places of your heart. And imagine it gave me access to your very heart and thoughts towards God himself. What if it let me show you deep inside that you never let anyone else see? Now, that would be terrifying, wouldn't it? But even more terrifying. God, the good creator and ruler of all things, does know all this. He is the all-knowing God. All your actions, all your thoughts, all the words you have ever said, all the attitudes of your heart, your desires, your motives, your inner life, your thoughts and attitudes towards God. And what is more terrifying is he's not just the creator, He's the judge of all people, the judge of you, the judge of me. And so how should a good, just God respond to how we mistreat him and mistreat others and fail to do what is right in our mixed motives? Well, this is how the good and just God has responded. He has handed down the sentence of death for our crimes. Physical death, but not just physical death physically dying to enter into an eternal terrible existence away from God's goodness. Death is the judgment of God. It's not a natural part of life. It's not something to get used to. It's a terrible thing when you face it. If you've ever seen the body of the person you love lying there without life in it, it is a terrible thing. But God in his great love and generosity saves people from death saves the very ones who deserve the judgment of death from him from that judgment and he does it while still remaining just we'll see how in a moment but this is phenomenal this is incredible news this is gospel news it is so massive it is so good it is so wonderful it is to be shared news that saves people from death but how which brings us to the second element of this news secondly it's about jesus the saviour Jesus, who in verse 3 is called the Christ. Now, it can be easy to think that that's his last name, Jesus Christ. But Christ is actually a title. It means king. Jesus Christ is Jesus the king. And the expectation in prophecy for hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus was that one day a great Christ would come, a great king, and come to rule over all things. <clears throat> Jesus is that Christ. Jesus is that king the ruler over all things. But he doesn't establish his rule by might and force and conquering. He establishes his rule by love and service and self-sacrifice. So have a look at verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead, raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul says that his news is so important, it's his first importance, supremely important news. And it's got two parts. And the first part is this, Christ died for our sins. And the second, that he was raised from the dead. The supremely important news is firstly about the king who came to die. And it was according to the scriptures, verse three. It's not something that happened by accident. 
It wasn't that the Romans got the better of Jesus or the Jewish religious leaders got the better of Jesus. No, no. It was written into prophecy hundreds of years before that this king would come and die. This is the plan of God to save us. It is no accident. And did you notice there it says his death was for our sins. To deal with the sentence that is upon us for our rejection of God and the wrong we do and the life infected with self-interest. Jesus came to deal with our sin and he did it by dying in our place. How can the good and just God save us from the punishment of death that we deserve while still remaining just? He can't just sweep it under the carpet or forget about it or no, no. What he does is he takes the sentence of death upon himself. He, God's son, King Jesus, comes and dies in our place so that we can escape the death that we rightly deserve. I've got a 12-year-old son and uh, we regularly watch Marvel movies. I think Marvel was basically designed for 12-year-old boys. And one of the things that I appreciate about the Marvel movies, particularly the recent Marvel movies, is they're filled with the idea of sacrifice, that someone would give up for someone else, that someone would actually sacrifice their life for someone else. Uh, some of my favourite Marvel movies are the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. They're f- full of humour and, uh, and excitement, but ultimately they have a, a heartwarming message. And Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is about fathers and the love of a father and what it actually looks like. Towards the very end of the movie, I'm going to spoil it if you, if you haven't seen it, towards the very end of the movie, Peter Quill, the, the main character, is trapped on a planet that is uh, due to an explosion at its core being obliterated in a chain reaction of explosions. He's there, trapped. It looks like there's no hope he's going to die. But just in the nick of time, Yondu, his father-type figure, the blue guy, swoops in with a jetpack and grabs Quill and rockets upward from the planet as the planet disintegrates and explodes in a fiery burst of explosion around him. Earlier in the scene, a big point had been made that there was only one spacesuit disc left. You stick them on you and a spacesuit appears over you, but there was only one. So Yondu grabs him, rockets off the planet into space. The cold, the lack of oxygen immediately begin to take effect and Yondu, without hesitation, puts the disc on Quill. The suit surrounds him and Yondu dies. There's no other way. One of them had to die. In love, Yondu gives his life for Quill so that Quill can live. That's what Jesus does for you and me. In love, Jesus gives his life so that we might live. You can see how supremely important this news is. The King Jesus came to die to save us from death. But it has a second part. It's that Jesus did not stay dead. The king rose from the dead. Verse 4, he was buried, but on the third day he was raised. That is, he was dead, dead, dead. Buried in the tomb, three-part days. Friday Arvo evening, all day Saturday, Sunday morning. Dead, buried, rotting, but then raised back to life. Physically raised in a real body from death. And not just raised to live for a while and then die again. You see, when Jesus walked on the earth, he raised some people from death, which was an incredible miracle. One day he's walking through the town of Nain. He comes into the town and a funeral procession is coming out. A a, a small coffin. A young boy has died. And the mother is a widow. No one else in her life. 
He sees the procession, he sees the mother, his heart goes out to her in her distress and in great compassion and power he comes up to the dead boy and says, young man, I say to you, get up. And he does. And Jesus gives the boy compassion back to his mother. Now, who is this man that can do such things? But this incredible miracle is not the same as Jesus' resurrection. See, this boy raised to life would go on to live a normal life and then die again. This is a picture of something greater to come, Jesus' resurrection. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised to never die again, to live eternally. And he still lives now, even though he has ascended, gone out to be with his father and is ruling the universe until he returns to us. Jesus died, was fully dead, was rotting in the tomb, but God has raised him to rule as king for all eternity, which proves everything he ever said was true and that his death to pay the price for our sin has been accepted by God. And again, it says it's according to the scriptures. This is, this is the plan of God, has been the plan of God for centuries. It is no accident. This news about Jesus, the king who died, saves us from our sins and he rose again to live forever. Third key aspect of this news. This news can be trusted. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, oh, it's gospel. Oh, it's gospel truth, meaning it's totally true. You, you can't get any truer than that. You can totally rely on what I'm saying. It's gospel. Now, is the gospel, is this news that true? Can it be totally relied upon? Is it news that is utterly trustworthy? Because if Jesus rising from the dead doesn't stand on good evidence, then it's hard to believe, isn't it? And if he didn't rise from the dead, then the whole gospel message would be fake news. Well, there's a good reason that people call gospel something gospel truth when it's absolutely true and reliable. Have a look at verse 4. That Jesus was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Jesus died for people's sins, rose again from the dead. Once he had risen, appeared to many people physically interacting with them because he was around for 40 days after he rose from the dead, interacting with people before he returned to his father in heaven to rule. Jesus appeared to people physically raised back to life, sometimes individuals, verse 5, to Cephas, that's the apostle Peter. Uh, verse 7, to, to James. Now that is Jesus' biological brother who, while Jesus was walking around on the earth, James thought he was mad. He didn't believe in him. He didn't believe that he was God the Son, that he was Christ the King. He thought he was mad until he saw Jesus risen from the dead and then he dedicated the rest of his life to spreading the news about Jesus, to worshipping him as God and uh, he became the leader in the church of Jerusalem. Verse 7, to the Apostle Paul, the risen Jesus appeared, who's writing this letter. The resurrected Jesus appeared on a, to a bunch of individual people on their own and sometimes in twos, but also in groups. Verse 5, to the 12, that's to the 12 apostles, Jesus' closest disciples who had followed him for three years, living with him. Uh, watching him teach, seeing his incredible miracles, eating and drinking and, and doing life together. And then they'd seen him die. 
executed, hanging alone and naked upon the cross, and their lives had been shattered. They were deeply distraught and they were desperately afraid for their lives because they thought they might be next. And so fearing they might be executed, they fled. And they fled and hid together in a locked room. And into this situation, Jesus, who had died, appeared to them physically raised from the dead. They weren't expecting it. They were so shocked when it did happen, they doubted it could possibly be Jesus and thought it must be a spirit or a ghost. And so Jesus proves to them, no, no, I'm physical. Look, I'll eat something. You you can put your fingers into the holes in my wrists, into the holes in my side where I was was crucified, where the centurion drove the spear um, to ensure that Jesus was truly dead. And the 12 respond by worshipping Jesus as God and giving the rest of their lives, spreading the news about Jesus' death and resurrection to anyone who would listen. Jesus appeared to the 12 as a group, but not just small groups, large groups. Verse 6 After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And Paul makes the point, most of those who he appeared to are still alive when Paul is writing this. Some have died, some have fallen asleep, but most are still alive. And the implication for the Corinthians is, if you wanted to, you could go to Jerusalem, go to Palestine, talk to people who had actually seen and talked with Jesus, the risen king. A whole bunch of them. And Paul finishes the list by saying, you can take it from me too, because I saw him after his resurrection as well. Imagine this. There are some people out there today who had never heard the news of September 11, 2001 in New York City before. And they heard these events and they doubted they could actually be true. They sounded far-fetched to them. Four passenger planes simultaneously hijacked, two of them flown into the north and south towers of the World Trade Center in New York City, killing almost 3,000 people. To them, it sounds far-fetched. Now, how would you go about proving it to them? Well, one of the things you could do, one solution would be, let's go. Let's go to New York City. Let's find the people who were there when it happened, who saw it with their own two eyes. Plenty of them around. It's only 19 years ago. Heaps of people still alive, eyewitnesses, and they'd never forget the details of something like that, would they? Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to a bunch of people, sometimes one, sometimes two, sometimes small groups, sometimes large groups, various times, various locations, and they're still alive when Paul is writing this. They'd never forget something like this, would they? This is only about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus that Paul writes these things. Jesus died and rose 33 or 36 AD. I think slightly stronger evidence for 36 AD. This letter was written in the spring of either 53, 54, 55 AD. That's somewhere between 17 and 22 years at the most after the events of Jesus' resurrection. And that's just from the writing of this letter. Notice verse 1, Paul said, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. He's already told them the news of Jesus' death and resurrection in person when he was with them before. And that was five years previously. That would make this 14 or 15 or 18 years at most after the event. And there are earlier letters than these. 1 Thessalonians, Galatians that treat Jesus as the risen Lord. There are creeds in different places in the letter that are earlier even still. From the very beginning, Christians believed and taught Jesus was the Lord who had risen from the dead because they'd seen it with their own eyes. Years ago, I read a book, The Da Vinci Code, a very entertaining book, Um, but that's what it is. 
entertainment, fiction. The Da Vinci Code popularised the idea that in the first century no one actually believed that Jesus was God. No one actually believed Jesus rose from the dead. It wasn't until the third century when a bunch of Christian leaders got together in a council and they brought together the idea that Jesus was God and rose from the dead and then they spread that from there. No, no, we have evidence in the very earliest documents from the very beginning that Jesus was worshipped as God, as the king who had risen from the dead. What we're dealing with in this news is history, eyewitness history, not just someone's ideas or dreams or someone had a vision, but history you can actually investigate and verify. It's built on objective facts. And some might think, yeah, but maybe all these people got together and they made up the story that Jesus had risen from the dead so they could get popularity or power or money. Well, quite the opposite. Those who went around sharing the message about Jesus were harassed and ridiculed and experienced poverty and persecution and hardship and death. Eleven of Jesus' twelve closest followers, eleven of his disciples, were executed for sharing and holding to the news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Wouldn't you think when you faced death, if it was a lie, you'd come clean so you could be saved? But they didn't because they believed it to be true. The apostles had seen the risen Jesus from the dead and had changed everything for them. And so they kept that message and shared it with everyone they could. One more reason why this news of Jesus' death and resurrection can be trusted is that it fulfills prophecy. It actually fulfills words spoken by prophets hundreds of years before they come about. You can see in verse 3 and 4 that Jesus died according to the scriptures that Jesus rose from the dead according to the scriptures. The scriptures of the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of the Bible. And in those Old Testament writings are a whole bunch of prophecies made hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus about his death and resurrection. And they happen in Jesus' life. The events of Jesus' death and resurrection don't stand on their own. They stand on the foundation of thousands of years of prophecy looking forward to these very events. The news of Jesus' death and resurrection is trustworthy. And, and, and you might still have questions and need more convincing. We did a Q&A a couple of weeks ago on this. You can jump online and check that out. Fourthly, this news reveals the future. The reason the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church of Corinth was because they had a problem around the resurrection, but not around Jesus' resurrection. They fully believed Jesus' resurrection, but they'd lost sight of the general resurrection of the dead the rising from the dead of all people at the end of time. The Corinthians had so emphasised the blessings of the Christian life now that they had neglected or even denied the fact that there was a resurrection of the dead to come. They were focused on this world rather than focused on the world to come. And in these first 11 verses of chapter 15, Paul reminds them of the centrality of Jesus' resurrection and of his work as the apostle who preached that resurrection, because this is the foundation of the resurrection of all the dead. You can see his logic in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? See, here's the foundation. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then there will one day come a day when all the dead will be raised. That's the future that's revealed by this news. And I think the resurrection of the dead idea is a totally foreign idea in our community. But for Paul, it's critical. The news of Jesus' resurrection shouts to us, there is a day of resurrection coming. 
There is a day when King Jesus will return, when he will raise every person who has ever lived and died back to life, when all those people will be brought before the judgment seat of God and judged by the Lord Jesus for how they have lived and particularly for how they have treated God. And every person, because of their sin, will be found to deserve condemnation. But for those who have trusted Jesus and taken him as Lord, who have let him die in their place, his death is in their place for their sins, and they will not be condemned, but instead Jesus will be condemned in their place, has been condemned in their place, has died in their place, and they'll be welcomed into God's eternal kingdom. See, there will come a day when God's people are raised to live forever with God in new perfected bodies. The gospel news of Jesus' resurrection reveals a future, a day of resurrection coming, a judgment day coming, and after that, eternal life or eternal punishment. That's the news revealed, the future revealed by this news. Can you see the massiveness of this news? It's about Jesus, the King, his death and resurrection in our place, that is trustworthy history and that it actually saves us from death so we can be raised to live with God forever. But there's one final crucial element, and this is my last point, and this is where the rubber hits the road for each of us. Fifth, this news needs to be believed. For this news to save you, it needs to be believed by you. See, back to verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. For this news to make a difference to you, to save you, for Jesus to die to deal with your sins so that you will not die and be raised to eternal life, you need to receive this news. Stand in this news. Receive this news that Jesus is your King. Receive this news that Jesus is your Saviour who died for you. Christ who died and rose to save us. Verse 2 says it a little bit differently. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For this news to impact your eternal standing with God, you must believe it. Which is another way of saying receive it and stand in it and hold to it. That is, believe it. Keep believing it. Believe it to the end. Believe and receive that Jesus is your King and that he is the one who has died to save you. He is your saviour. That's what it is to become a Christian. Receive this news. Believe this news. Put your trust in it. Put your trust in him, Jesus, and in an ongoing way that shapes the rest of your life. Come under the rule of Jesus again, the good king, and seek to obey him. And trust him to save you from your sin so that you, after death, will be raised to live eternally with God forever in a perfected universe. That becomes the shape of your life from this point forward. I believe this news and receive Jesus as my King and Saviour. That is what it is to become a Christian. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now, to believe, to put your trust in, to receive this news of King Jesus' death and resurrection to save you, to trust Jesus to save you and receive him as your King. And can I urge you to do that today? Uh, wherever you are, for whatever reason you're listening to this, uh, God wanted you to hear this news. 
this message. In his great love, he wants you to have your sin dealt with so that you will, after death, be raised from the death to, dead to live with him forever. He's paid the ultimate sacrifice, the death of his dear son, which shows how much he loves you. He longs for you to receive this news this morning. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive this news about Jesus and put a trust in him right now. And it's done by talking to him, praying. I'm going to pray. And if this is a prayer that you want to pray, then you echo it in your mind. I'll pray a line, then you pray the line in your mind to God and make it your own. What I'll do is I'll leave a pause between the lines, which gives you an opportunity to pray in your mind what I just said. And God will hear you. But before we do that, let me tell you what um, I'm going to invite you to pray. The prayer will be this. Dear God, I want to receive this news about Jesus' death and resurrection. Thank you for sending Jesus to die so I can be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead so I can live forever with you. I put my trust in Jesus to save me from sin and death. I want to live with Jesus, my king, from now on. Please forgive me and help me to live for Jesus. Amen. So that's what I'm going to pray. Let's give it a go. If you'd like, pray with me. Dear God, I want to receive this news about Jesus' death and resurrection. Thank you for sending Jesus to die so I can be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead so I can live forever with you. I put my trust in Jesus to save me from sin and death. I want to live with Jesus my King from now on. Please forgive me and help me to live for Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're watching the stream and you pray that for the first time for real this morning and have put your trust in Jesus, then something amazing and profound has happened. God has forgiven you. He's dealt with your sin. You are right with him. He's your heavenly father. There's a celebration going on in heaven and we're celebrating too. And death is no longer the end for you. Death no longer will end in judgment. Death is an entry into an eternal relationship with God in a perfected universe. But the chances are you're on your own at home or with a couple of others and this whole thing might feel weird. We'd love to help you. We'd love to be in contact with you straight away. We'd love you to let us know what you've done so we can get you help in starting this new relationship with God and Jesus. And the way you can do that is to text um, prayed to the number on the screen. Um, if you're not ready to do this today, that's okay. You might need more time to think, more time to investigate these things, check them out. We've got the Life Series coming up, which is a great way to check out this stuff more. If you'd like more info about that, you can text LIFE to the same number that you have there on your screen. So if you prayed, believing this for the first time or taking it on for real, text PRAYED to that number. If you want more info about life, then text uh, LIFE to that number. But I'm going to finish now by praying. Let's pray. Oh dear Father, we thank you so much for this incredible news that saves. We thank you for your son Jesus, that he is the King, and yet in great love he died to save us and rose again from the dead victorious. Thank you that this news is trustworthy, that it's based on eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. Thank you that it reveals the future, a future where we can live with you forever if our trust is in Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. 
And please, in your goodness, keep us trusting and following Jesus all our days so that we will be with you in eternity. Amen.